Good morning, everybody. Let's just begin with some prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to talk about one of the important ways that connects us with you, we pray that these would not just be words in a space that go from one ear to the other, but things that help to change our lives, specifically for your glory and our good. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, for some time we've been working our way rather slowly through 2 Corinthians, so ordinarily that's where we'd be going today, but some discussion we had in one of our recent elders' meetings caused me to change tack. So as Colin has kindly said, we're going topical, and we're going to be talking about prayer. We'll start by having a general look at it, and then we'll try to answer some difficult questions that maybe we don't talk about enough. So let's begin. There are going to be a lot of proof texts today, so I'm going to be putting everything on the overhead so that we're all on the same page at the same time, and therefore you can put your Bibles aside. (laughs) Well, first up, what is prayer? In the very broadest sense, prayer is just personal communication with God. To narrow things down, that includes us asking Him to help us or others, confessing our sins, worshipping him, praising and thanking him. Well, that's quite incredible, isn't it? Just stop and think about that. Prayer is personal communication with God. That's way more than just a dry definition, isn't it? Personal communication. I, a created sinful human, can talk directly to the one holy and all-powerful person who created me and everything everywhere. And he hears me. And he wisely acts for me. (laughs) I lack the words. To say that that is a privilege is a notable understatement. And therefore, to keep that privilege in mind, wherever we go to prayer, is a worthy goal. Secondly, why do we pray? Well, first of all, we pray because we are commanded to. In the book of Matthew, Jesus makes a number of statements about prayer. He says, Pray for those who spitefully use you. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. And also, in this manner, therefore pray. We don't find in any of these examples that this is an an optional activity. We don't read anything like, And when you sometimes feel like praying, no, This instruction from the Lord himself carries the sense that prayer is a natural, normal, and required part of the relationship between humans and God. Secondly, we pray because we ought to. We don't pray because God needs our help to know what to do for us. After all, he's omniscient. He knows what we need before we do. We ought to pray rather because it actively demonstrates our trust that he is really who he says he is. If we do not have that belief and trust, then we are merely talking to ourselves. And, well, that's foolishness to say the least. However, when the confidence of our heart becomes a reality of words on our lips, then we are doing something that delights God. He loves to have fellowship with us in this way, not because we are compelled, but because we are convicted. And there's no better example of this than Jesus himself. Here are just a few examples. Matthew 14, 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Matthew 26, 36. 
Then Jesus came with them to a place called, place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And lastly, Mark 1.35, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. If Jesus found it personally necessary and important to pray, then, you know, we should see so that it's true for us as well. Thirdly, we pray because we need to. There are so many circumstances when this is true. Sometimes it's because we're in some sort of trouble that we feel too ashamed or scared to share with others, or perhaps there is no one to share it with. There are also numerous kinds of difficulties that are beyond any human ability to understand or repair. Terminal illnesses, tragedy affecting close family, these are things that can leave us feeling absolutely desperate. Yet those who trust in Jesus are never alone, no matter what the hour or how severe the emergency, because God is always, always at hand and his ear is inclined towards us. 1 Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. As I've already mentioned, it's a privilege beyond description to have God's attention in this way. How is it that I, a very sinful man, a weedy, powerless little thing compared to the might of the Lord of the universe, can continuously have his ear in this way. Not because I'm yelling and making more commotion than the crowd around me, but because he is purposely paying attention to me. He is waiting expectantly for me to speak to him. He wants, he wants to help me in his distress. How can that be? Only through Christ, only through grace, only through love. Not because of anything I have done or can do, but because of everything that he has done because Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. So that's the first bit. Now we have answered if and why we must pray, we can now ask how? How do we do that? Should our prayers be short or long? Do they need a special structure or particular words to be effective? What else is important? Well, before I suggest any answers to those questions, there's something I must deal with first, and that is, can we all pray? Does God hear everyone's prayers? Well, sadly the answer is no, in the sense that hearing is equivalent to receiving. God certainly hears every prayer, whether it comes from a believer or an unbeliever, simply because he is omniscient. He, he knows what the prayer was and who made it. And he might even respond to an unbeliever's prayer out of his common grace. For example, somebody who prays for rain might well seem to have that prayer specifically answered when the rain comes. But in reality, that rain fell purely out of the Lord's general mercy and goodness towards his creation. We will not find anywhere in Scripture where God promises to specifically and hear and act on the prayers of unbelievers. On the contrary, when we look at well-known texts like John 14, 16, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's clear from the no one here that God the Father will not hear the prayers of all in the sense of a sympathetic ear and consequent action. 
But of course, there's one notable exception. God always hears the sinner's heartfelt prayer of repentance at the foot of the cross. Now, the reason I raise this here is that if by some chance you hear the sermon and you're not a believer, you haven't made a commitment to Christ, I, I want you to know things need to change. If you are listening, that's good. At least you are seeking Him. But do not be feel, fooled that this alone is the way to heaven, that your prayers are heard and your good deeds are seen and make up for or exceed your sins. Scripture is truth. It says no one comes to the Father except through belief in Jesus, His Son. If a relationship with Jesus is your heart's desire, then you must answer His call. Get on your knees and accept Him as Lord. Tell Him that you are sorry for your sins and will try not to do them again. Tell Him that Jesus is your Lord from now on and not the world. Get up and follow Him from that moment on. Do what He wants. And then your every prayer will be heard. And I will rejoice along with those in heaven if you do. Let's return now to the question of how do we pray. I asked if it is important to know whether a prayer should be short or long or contain some special words or be ordered in a particular way to be effective. Well, the short answer is no, but there are some scriptures that are very helpful. First up is the phrase that we often end with, in Jesus' name. Its use seems to come from John 14, 13 and 14. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And this theme is repeated in John 15, 16 and John 16, 23, 24. And it's fantastic. Reading these verses alone might seem like a real eureka moment hey if i want anything at all then i just need to ask for it in jesus's name and poof, there it is dear lord please can i have a ferrari in jesus name of course amen and then we wait expectantly because we ask for it in jesus name and therefore it has to come right no wrong thank you you're going to be waiting a long time because that's not what it means at all. To begin with, none of the eight recorded New Testament prayers contain the words in Jesus' name. And that's a pretty strong indication that it's not something that needs to be done. So what does it really mean? In Acts 3.6, where Peter commands the lame man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. We can see that Peter's action is performed under Jesus' authority. In other words, it has his approval. And secondly, it is completely consistent with the character of Jesus. And these two conditions give us the proper circumstances to use our special three words. If they are used otherwise, they are futile. It would be my strong belief that Jesus has absolutely no interest at all in Ferraris. So we do not have to add, in Jesus' name, to every single prayer. It doesn't make it wrong to do so, but when we do, we must give some serious consideration as to whether our petition does meet those two criteria. The most important thing about this whole matter is that we do understand in our hearts that it is only by and through Jesus that we can make our prayer at all. And it follows then that we ought to be saying, thank you, Lord, a lot. 
Well, having dealt with habitual endings, I want to talk about habitual beginnings. Our prayers are most usually directed to our Heavenly Father, or some variation on that. So, is this the right or the only way to begin? Well, it certainly is appropriate to do so. Since if we look at those recorded New Testament prayers I was talking about, they are most usually addressed to God the Father. And moreover, in doing so, we are putting ourselves in the right place in the relationship by affirming who really is the boss of us. And so that's a great way to start a prayer. But is it the only one? What about praying directly to Jesus or perhaps the Holy Spirit? Well, our New Testament prayer examples are less helpful here because the bulk of them were actually made by Jesus. And so he's hardly going to be praying to himself. But if we look at moments such as the dying prayer of Stephen in Acts 7.59 when he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit and others that are like it, we can say with confidence that it is very appropriate to come directly to Jesus in prayer. And he is, after all, our high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Lastly, what about the Holy Spirit? Well, Scripture doesn't say whether we should or whether we shouldn't. But he is fully God, and therefore he is fully able to respond to our prayers. He is our comforter and counselor. He teaches us, bears witness to us that we are children of God, and he is the one who gives us our spiritual gifts. If you study this, you will find that he is extremely active in our lives. And therefore it would be very odd for us to not recognize or speak to him at all. In fact, in light of that relationship, we should absolutely do so, for we are told that he is a partner in our every prayer. In Romans 8, Paul writes about how the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And this suggests that the Holy Spirit somehow boosts the weakness of our entreaties to God. And so with all this in mind, how can it not be right to make some of our prayers to the Holy Spirit? Okay, what are some of the other scripturally based suggestions for effective prayer? Well, firstly, we must seek to pray according to God's will. There's such a clear example of this when Jesus includes the line, your will be done in the Lord's Prayer. Now, of course, knowing God's will is easy when scripture clearly says what that is. How about when we're praying for guidance on something where God's will is really quite unclear? For example, let's say we're looking for guidance on what job offer to accept. In this case, the best we can do is to pray for what we think is right, given what we understand of the Lord's will. And this is exactly why we might include the words, according to your will, at such times. There are some who would say that this is the wrong thing to do because it implies a kind of fatalism. And that means that we believe that we have no real influence on things, how things turn out. We're just passengers. And we have to take whatever comes along because God's already preordained it. Well, I don't believe that's true because if we were such passengers on God's journey, then why are we so clearly required to participate by praying? I believe that in saying according to your will, we're really just saying, Lord, I know that you are wise and sovereign. I trust that you will do things as you promise for your glory and my good. And if 
things don't work out the way I hoped that they would, that one day I will understand and see that it really was best for me at that time. We're just resting in God's hand. Secondly, we must seek to pray with faith. In Mark eleven twenty four, Jesus tells the disciples, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. Well, this is apparently also a guaranteed recipe for imminent delivery of a Ferrari. No. There are a few different varieties of belief, aren't there? In Douglas Adams' book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, he gives us advice on learning to fly without any sort of wings. He says, There is an art to flying, or rather a knack, and the knack lies in learning how to throw yourself at the ground and miss. The one sort of belief is a lot like that, where we mentally sweat and strain in order to make a belief real by conveniently forgetting that it was only something we wanted rather than something we actually needed. God is not fooled. That false belief is not what Jesus is talking about here. What he's talking about is the rather more profound thing of making a petition, one that is consistent with theology and then waiting quietly and confidently for God's answer. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It speaks of a kind of faith that is rooted in the conviction that God is who he says he is and will do exactly what he says he will do. And this is the sort of belief that brings answer to prayer. But the question is, how do we cultivate that? How do we make it real? <laughs> I think we already know. It's prayer and study of God's word. And then more prayer and study of God's word, followed by lots more prayer and study of God's word. Friends, if we expect to be convicted of God's goodness and by his promises, through carelessly studying him by a telescope, then we are not ever going to succeed. We must use the microscope that he has provided and use it diligently. Thirdly, we must seek to pray in holiness. In 1 Peter 3.12, directly following a section devoted to encouraging godly behavior in both personal and community life, we read, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, we've already used that text. Now, Peter is quoting here from Psalm 34 to remind his readers that for the believer, holy conduct is a lot more than just window dressing. It has real consequences for the way that we engage God. He is much more readily going to respond to the believer who makes all efforts to live in obedience to the Lord's standards than one who does not. But this not must, must not be misunderstood to mean that God will not answer the prayers of a sinful person, because if that were true, then no one would ever see, succeed in their petitions. But obedience clearly does change the odds in our favor. And so, why wouldn't we? It must be said, though, that practicing holy behavior for what we get out of it, rather than as a loving return for what we have been given through the gift of salvation, is a very poor motive. And I hope that it's obvious that this too is a space for confessing and repenting. There is no profit in saving up our sins for an annual spring cleaning. 
Jesus did not include the line, forgive us our trespasses in the Lord's Prayer as an accident. He meant us to understand that confession and repentance are just a normal part of any prayer. When we are speaking to Almighty and Holy God, then surely we would want to be as righteous and clean as we can be before Him. And thanks to Jesus, that is a very, very easy thing to do. Fourthly, we must pray in humility. In the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18, which makes the comparison between long, flowery public prayer and humble private prayer, Jesus says in verse 14, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, we may have a great deal of admiration for those who are able to compose long and impressive prayers, but they are not necessarily things that we need to copy for ourselves. For sure, there are many brothers and sisters who make such prayers from the heart. Beautiful prayers, seeking to please God, but there are others. <laughs> and if you've been around a while, I'm sure you've met a few who are really just on a mission to draw attention to themselves. But remember that God is the only one who really deserves all glory. And he is not impressed by those who try to take it for themselves. And so humility before God and others is a necessary foundation for effective prayer. Fifthly, we must persevere in prayer. Well, if you asked any Christian the main reason why they don't pray more, the odds are very strong that they would say it's because they don't immediately get an obvious answer to their prayer. And the answer Scripture gives to us is just keep trying. Paul in his letters to the Thessalonians and Colossians advises them to pray steadfastly and constantly. Consider that Moses twice stayed 40 days on the mountain to pray for the people of Israel. As we, were, as we have already seen, Jesus himself is a model of frequent and protracted prayer. In Luke 6.12, we read that he prayed all night. And in the book of Acts 6, there is a scene describing how the 12 apostles needed to delegate servant duties to other believers so that, in verse 12, it says, they can give themselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. It's clear from these examples that often it is just necessary to stick at praying despite an absolute vacuum that is apparently there in reply. And I really wish I could tell you exactly why that is so. But I can't. I don't know. And I feel it would be extremely inappropriate for me to put words into God's mouth. The fact of the matter is that this is what he requires from his people. And nothing we do is ever going to change that. The believer has only two guarantees in the matter of their petitions. Firstly, that they are heard by God. And secondly, that he will act on them for his glory and our good. We have no say as to when they will be answered, or even how they will be answered. We can only trust in God's grace and goodness, which he has already richly proven to us through Christ. Six, we must not neglect praise and thanksgiving. You know, too often our prayers become unidirectional. They're all about what God can do for me, rather than what he has done for me. What he has done by saving us from our sin, 
and restoring our relationship is enormously larger than even the shiniest red Ferrari. And therefore, we need to make a point of giving heartfelt praise for His grace and His goodness above everything else. Consider the first line of the Lord's Prayer. It says, Hallowed be your name. Hallowed is a word that means sacred. And it's the very opposite of unholy. It reminds us that we must position ourselves properly in this relationship. He is sovereign Lord. I am created flesh. He is genuinely the only one worthy of all glory and honor and praise. I am sinful flesh. And this is a matter we must deeply reflect on since inserting some dry term like praise God into a prayer when it just comes from the lips and not the heart, it will never fool him. In fact, I believe it is offensive to him because it's like we, we think we might somehow manipulate him through empty flattery into doing our will rather than his. So that's the, the technical stuff. There is such a lot more I, I would like to have included, but it would have made the sermon so long. And so we're nearly at the end. But before we finish up, I, I, want, to I want to finish now with a very practical, and it must be said, quite direct section. As elders, we're not usually party to your private prayer life, but of course we are aware of its public expression, and from that we are a bit concerned. The corporate prayer life of our congregation is not what it should be. Opportunities for open prayer in the service, they often remain unfilled except by the usual suspects, and likewise numbers at the monthly prayer meeting are disappointing. And I want to make it clear as I say this that I'm not excluded from this criticism. I'm personally guilty in both of these matters. But that doesn't excuse me from raising it. We all need to do better. And so I want to make some suggestions as to how that might be done. I hope that what we have heard in the last 20 or 25 minutes is a necessary and normal part of every believer's life. It's true that some people are particularly gifted by the Holy Spirit in that way, but that doesn't mean we must leave them to do all the heavy lifting. We all have a part to play, all of us, not just a few, and therefore we should make an effort to be part of this important part of church life. So I ask you, please consider taking part more often in corporate prayer. The most common objection I find to taking part in open prayer is the fear of speaking in public. Friends, in this room, you are with your family. No one is going to ridicule you or shout, Hey Colin, that was the most rubbish prayer I've ever heard. No. This is a safe place to talk to God, along with your brother's and sisters in Christ. Prayers do not need to be long or flowery. As I've repeatedly said, there's no special formula. We only need to talk to God as we would to a fellow human. <laughs> I would add that a respectful time, tone at the time is very appropriate. What matters most is that your prayer comes out of your heart and then through your mouth. 
how it is said is of little consequence. No one should feel inadequate in their prayers. No one is taking names. Although we as elders would love to hear and see you take part in open prayer because we believe it will grow both you personally and the church, you must not ever pray out of condemnation. Pray from your heart, as I've said, for the things of your heart to the Lord of your heart, or do not pray at all. My next point may seem very peculiar, since after a sermon encouraging prayer, it's going to seem I'm doing the very opposite. But I, I believe it needs to be said. If you happen to be a confident prayer in group situations, please consider your fellow petitioners. I have two observations here. Firstly, I've been to many prayer meetings where it is literally impossible to get a word in edgeways between two or three folk who are just bubbling over with long prayers. And secondly, they pray about all the good stuff, the things I was going to pray about, and so I end up sitting there mute because nothing else comes to mind. It's true, isn't it? Yep. Can I then respectfully ask, you wonderful prayer warriors, and, I, and I, I'm not minimizing your gift at all, please can I ask you to consider using your gift as a means to grow the rest of us. Make space for us to join in. Consider leaving some things out of your early prayers so that others can take them up. After all, if nobody does, you can come back to them later. And finally, for those who bring us to prayer, I want to ask you to make time for us to actually do it. There are so many occasions and so many places where I've been invited to prayer, have become my silent internal prayer, only to have the leader button literally 10 seconds later and wrap things up. Maybe I'm just too slow. But I can't finish or say all that I needed to say to God. And this makes me both sad and mad. This making time needs to be very deliberate because our internal perception of time is so unreliable. I want to suggest that you allot a period for prayer and use your watch or the wall clock to measure it. Well, how long should that be? Well, I find a couple of minutes usually, but my experience is that you can certainly tell by the amount of wriggling in the pews that it's time to move on. It's time to move on now. This has been an unusually long sermon for me, and we've had to cover a lot of ground, but we aren't quite done yet. You see, I can't make a call to prayer without an opportunity to practice it. And so we'll end now with a few minutes of open prayer. However you are placed in the matter, confident or scared beyond description, I'd ask you to consider all that I've said and take part appropriately. I definitely do not want anyone to feel that they are forced to do something that they are incredibly uncomfortable with. I do want you to be convicted by the example of Scripture. I do want you to grow in a new way, and I do want to see what our church, not this building, but the people in it might be like it if we come together. Really, really come together in the matter of prayer to the Lord our God. Let's bow our heads. Thank you for this incredible privilege of being able to speak to you. And the knowledge that you hear us. And not that 
just that you hear us. <laughs> you actually do something about it. How, how can that be? We marvel at that possibility, that reality. Lord, I pray that we would not waste that opportunity. Pray that by the Holy Spirit prompting us in our spirits, that we would engage you so much more. And that you would richly bless us with the knowledge of your goodness and greatness. And we do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.